This is the PSA Podcast, where we deep dive into the business of technology and automation. Hello, and welcome back to the PSA Podcast, where we deep dive into the business of technology and automation. I'm your host, Joe Redding, the Director of Sales and Business Development at Production Systems Automation, and I'm happy to be co-hosting with my tag team partner, Marty Wolf. You can find more information about Production Systems Automation at www.psasystems.com. So good morning, Marty. How are you doing? I'm doing well. I gave you a funny answer off mic, but uh, I am doing well, and I'm, I'm looking forward to this uh, discussion with Kirk today. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Hey, I believe we have an interesting show today as we'll be discussing the business and technology behind the mass transit industry and how it has evolved over the last few years, and in particular over the last 18 months or so, as the industry certainly had to pivot, I would imagine, around the COVID effect. So, Marty, without further ado, I'd like to introduce our guest. So this morning, we're joined by Kirk Goins. Kirk is the CEO of Luminator Technology Group. He has more than 30 years of experience in industrial automation and technology, previously serving as CEO for the Paslin Company, a turnkey systems integrator focused on robotic automation in the automotive market. He also served as North American CEO for manufacturing assembly company, Kamau Inc., and held senior executive roles at ABB Inc., a global robotic manufacturer. Kirk is a graduate from Michigan State University with a Bachelor of Science degree in mechanical engineering and participated in a business leadership program through the IMD Business School. So, wow. Hello, Kirk. How are you doing this morning? I'm doing great, guys. Uh, after all that introduction, though, I, I better deliver some pretty good results here, huh? Ooh, yeah, I'm out of breath after that. that that's fantastic. Yeah, you've been, obviously, you've been entrenched in, uh, you know, throughout your career in the technology and automation space. So, uh, you know, it's it's been a it's been a long tenure for you here throughout your career, right? Yeah, so I kind of grew up in uh, in the automotive space in Michigan. You know, uh, graduated from high school there, went to Michigan State. As a Michigan kid, you you see a lot of uh, automotive and automation. And um, when I got out of school, I went to work for Rockwell Automation, one of the premier industrial automation companies in the world. Spent my first fifteen years in. You know, PLCs, motor control centers, push buttons, all of the traditional components of an automated line. And then I had the opportunity to be in the robotics business uh, for a number of years and some of them with you, Joe. Absolutely. Remember them quite well. Yeah. So why don't I just introduce uh, Illuminator Group, you know, so Illuminator is a global manufacturer of technology, communication and safety solutions for the mass transit industry. They're founded in 1928. Luminator supports the transit bus and rail car manufacturers and public transit operators around the world with customers in more than 85 countries. So, Kirk, under your leadership, you know, the organization has successfully merged dozens of reputable worldwide brands by leveraging Luminator's extensive engineering resources. And, Kirk, you've led that organization through developing integrated best-in-class solutions for on- and off-board passenger information video security, lighting, and other solutions designed to increase the safety, efficiency, and intelligence of transit operations. So to learn more about Luminator Technology Group, you can visit their website at www.luminator.com. 
All right, so let's get started here. Uh, Marty, do you have anything you want to kick it off? Any questions? Well, I, I don't want to. I don't want to take us off track right away. But uh, at some point, I'd like to uh, talk to Kirk uh, uh, a little bit about. You know, he did a lot of merging, so I'd be interested at some point in this conversation, like what what you were looking for, but uh, when you were emerging. But I guess we have to get more background before we go there. So, uh, Joe, you you can go ahead and uh, ask the questions, and Kirk, and you can have a dialogue. Okay, great. So, Kirk, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, but you have, I, th I think you have two customer bases. You, you deal with the OEM transit manufacturers, such as like bus and rail, but you also deal with the transit owners or the authorities. And then obviously the beneficiary of both of those would be, you know, the actual traveler themselves. So how do you go to market today? What's your go to market strategy and who are your actual customers? And you're you're right, Joe. We have we really have multiple customers. The uh, end customer we we don't uh, actually touch, and that's the traveler themselves. Uh, so our our business is uh, formatted around serving the uh, manufacturer, of the OEM, which is a bus or rail car manufacturer or an airplane manufacturer, and we provide what you would think of as kind of the traditional supply chain uh, engineering assistance, quoting. Um, you know, working to get our products specified into their their vehicles and platforms. Um, additionally, we serve the end user who uh, buys a bus or a rail car and operates that over an extended period of time. So, you know, life of a um, traditional city bus is going to be 12 years and life of a rail car is expected to be more in the neighborhood of 30 years. So when you think about that kind of lifespan, it's important to the customer that they know that they're getting a quality product with support and services. As you can imagine, with the rate and pace of technology change, um, these customers are, are ha have to deal with things like all of our customers that currently have 3G modem connections to either stationary or mobile uh, uh, vehicles uh, are now have to upgrade those because the 3G spectrum is being obsoleted. And so you may have 3G and you know, those of us that are changing cell phones over every, you know, 12 to 36 months, we, we don't recognize this problem because we changed out of 3G into 4G a long time ago. But uh, when you have a rolling asset that's got a 30-year life and maybe has a cellular connection to provide onboard Wi-Fi or some position data that's pertinent to the traveler, uh, you have to deal with these type of technological changes. And so, that's probably our biggest role with our end customers, Joe, is uh, the transit authority who takes possession is for us to provide, you know, long-term engineered solutions that they're going to be able to support and maintain, either with the help of the OEM, our help, or by themselves to deliver a quality solution to their customer who's the traveler. Okay, so as you roll out these technology advancements, then is it your team's responsibility or, or goal to to access the the end user, like and and sell those aftermarket services, those retrofit kits, possibly upgrades, or do you just and then and then actually install, or do you just sell it and then let let those people do the installation and and upkeep? So I, I would say it's really all of the above, and and you know we we want to support our customers. Some of those customers have uh, contracts for support with the OEM. So they, they buy an extended maintenance contract. So it's our job to support the OEM and delivering that. Some of those customers have their own uh, maintenance and operations groups and want to do the work by themselves. 
And then some customers will look for a, you know, a turnkey solution or a, a spot solution from, from a provider such as Luminator, where they have something installed and they want to make changes to it. And they want um, everything from uh, the engineering to do it all the way through turnkey, which would be the engineering installation, startup and commissioning. Perfect. Hey, so let's take a, a quick step back, you know, let's think, you know, back to February 2019. And just right, right as this global pandemic hits, right, and the, the whole world shuts down, essentially. And, and you're like right smack in, in the middle of it here with, you know, the transit, right, transportation, and, and it essentially just gets decimated, right? Uh, kind of cataclysmically decimated. What, what did you think at that particular time when that actually happened? Well, we were kind of in an odd spot because, um, you know, uh, if you were in the uh, hospitality business, you know, your restaurant basically shut down. Uh, but being in the transit business, transit authorities were still required to provide transit services to their clients. So even though they were um, operating far below their peak volume, they were still running a number of uh, of their vehicles. And in some cases, some of them running their full schedules with just very low volume. And so this created a lot of pressure for cost savings and, and support, um, created a lot of pressure in our business. Uh, you know, it's, uh, uh, we, we make and manufacture products, uh, software and services that we sell to those clients. And of course there's their revenue stream began to dry up. Their orders began to, uh, get reduced or canceled between the OEMs and the transit authorities themselves. So it's been a pretty rough uh, period of time. But in all of these cases, our, our transit uh, uh, customers have really provided services to their clientele. And, and um, you know, throughout the pandemic, from, from their drivers to mechanics to everything else, you know, they they deserve a lot of uh, recognition from the standpoint that they've continued to provide those services. And Luminator as such, um, you know, we were deemed an essential business in supporting transit. And so we operated uh, through all of the pandemic, including manufacturing and engineering in support of our customers uh, globally. So both in uh, Europe, uh, Latin America, Asia, and uh, North America, Different shutdown periods at different times when businesses were completely closed. And even then, uh, we ran emergency services and small manufacturing runs. Uh, did that globally for, you know, almost uh, three three to six months while we went through that rolling shutdown period. Joe, if I can jump in, um, let's bring us to the current time because uh, we've all been seeing and hearing about uh, supply chain challenges. So, uh, Kirk, bring us to the present time and we hear about you know, chips and cars and shortages. How is that affecting you now, if at all? Yeah, so we um we have really what I'm going to call three three parts to the uh, three parts to the problem for us. You know, part one is the simple part, and um, I, I'm embarrassed to say it this way, but I'll say it anyhow, and hopefully some of your listeners will will appreciate it. If you were running a good business, it was assumed or or it was. Uh, a strategy that you were running a, a very tight supply chain, um, lean, sometimes mm -hmm. called just-in-time delivery. Mm -hmm. Well, the better you were at that, probably the more damage you suffered in this uh, <laughs> set of set of uh, turndowns. Uh, I was uh, Marty. I happened to be on the um, 
uh, on the internet this morning looking at these ships off the uh, uh, Long Beach port that are now all the anchorages are taking up. So they're just drifting. Yeah. Well, those ships have materials that are necessary for product production, uh, both in our facility, as I'm sure many other customers uh, and companies that are producing. So we had uh, prior to the pandemic identified a strategy to begin um, I'm not going to say re, re, uh, reshoring all of our manufacturing, but building a more robust uh, manufacturing support system in our supply chain. Mm-hmm. Really, the pandemic—it's um, like a—it's like a poor project manager that starts the project and two weeks into it, they tell you they're four weeks late. Um, <laughs> it's almost like the pandemic made time go backwards, and the things that we started that we were three months into, which were supposed to be six, eight month schedules, basically just stopped and had to be completely restarted. So not only did we lose the the pause window in the middle, we lost all the forward progress at the beginning. And now we have a just a ton of competing objectives, both from you know ourselves fighting for material, as well as the number of suppliers that are taking this opportunity to be um, maybe a little too opportunistic and obsolete products they don't want to support uh, with very low, um, you know, last time by lead time. Mm-hmm. So just as a couple of uh, uh, indicators in our business, we're doing about uh, what would be five years worth of obsolescence uh, engineering uh, in the last six months. Hmm. So if the pace continues, we will do 10 years worth of component replacement and obsolescence engineering in one year. Wow. Uh, wow. Which obviously wasn't really on our plans, which mm. means mm. Uh, there's there's a number of big challenges that go with that. And the other side of that is <clears throat> I'm going to call it the toilet paper thing. Uh, I don't know about the two of you, but there's <laughs> probably too much toilet paper in my house. Uh because everybody was worried there wouldn't be any toilet paper. So, you know, when it became available again, you bought some, you bought a little more, and now you've got a lot of toilet paper. And uh, I think you're going to see the same thing with chips and other pieces. You're starting to see it with with lumber where the prices are coming down pretty dramatically. So, um, yeah. Well, you, you heard this advice on this show that uh, Joe Redding show is, is the fact that I went to the store to buy some uh, half and half. It, yep. There wasn't it. There wasn't any there. So you heard it first yep. uh, on the PSA, uh, you know, podcast. <laughs> so, so Joe, I, Joe, I didn't mean to interrupt your train of thought no. though. Back to you, my friend. No, that, that, that's excellent. And I appreciate that because, you know, with the supply chain, certainly, you know, PSA as a system integrator, you know, we have, a, a number of components, right, that we're trying to pull together into a solution. And, and we're seeing it as well, Kirk, that, you know, the supply chain is really having an impact on our delivery times, you know, to our clients. So, um, yeah, it hits everybody for sure. You know, so have you guys come up with any strategies or products or services, you know, after this you know pandemic was going on that you said, hey, we really should drive this type of solution because it's going to benefit the masses if we could just pull this off. And, and I'm sure it took a lot of engineering and some resources beyond what you were doing and just the, the obsolescence engineering that we just talked about. But has, has any new strategies or products come about since the pandemic? 
Yeah, it's a great question. So um, we, we have a couple of uh, significant opportunities, and one of them is uh, the, the first one I'll talk about is comes from uh, um, air treatment system. So we started out, you know, with the coronavirus. And if you'll remember, um, it was kind of believed that you were going to get the coronavirus through uh, shaking hands or, or touching something. And, and now it's turned out to be an airborne virus. Well, we had started out in our activities in, in um, developing some technology to combat the coronavirus, looking at uh, UVC lighting and some other things that might kill it on surfaces and migrated to an airborne solution. So today we have a product called Renew, which is a combination of a, an atomizer with a, a specific uh, solution in it called Grignard Pure. Uh, which we atomize and disperse into a bus or rail car. And we have a sensor that counts the amount of uh, particles of it in the air. And then we use a, a controller that, that either drives the number up or down based on the required amount to kill all of uh, the coronavirus. And since it's a virus, it's not alive. So you actually technically need to say inactivate the virus. So we have a, um, you know, a, a a business model around that where customers can uh, install these on their equipment and have the uh, the system and the sensors uh, dispense the right amount so that uh, you're killing or inactivating the coronavirus in under 30 seconds. So if you send a, uh, a virus-free <clears throat> bus or train out at six in the morning and then your first passenger load, you've got two people that are infected, gets on and they're breathe it into the air, then you really no longer have a virus for your vehicle. So with this, you have the opportunity to protect your passengers throughout the, the full days uh, worth of travel, including your, your operators, the bus drivers and rail car operators and, and uh, other people that may get on or off of that vehicle. So that was one of the things that we did early on. And, and some of the other things that we were doing, uh, so we have a, a business that's in mobile video surveillance. Um, and in this business, we certainly it's used in um, uh, to, to recreate the the events around an accident or or something happening on a transit vehicle. But as we um, one of the engineering activities we've been focused on is if you have the cameras and you have the uh, the recorder, then you are basically building information that no one is using. So we started to uh, focus on things like counting people. Um, instead of buying a separate uh, passenger counter, by counting people, we could help the authorities realize what uh, what parts of the route were overloaded, maybe needed more service to be able to carry their passengers, what parts were underserved, maybe they should, um, you know, uh, run, run routes that were less frequent. Um, and then uh, one of the things that came out during the pandemic was the desire to be able to publish that as capacity, not just passenger loading. So... Um, we've been working on capacity planning to be able to say, okay, this vehicle should have 40 people as the max. And if you want to, um, you know, get on a half loaded vehicle, then we can, we can publish that number to an app or something where you can see, okay, the next bus coming is, is half full, right? So those are two specific examples of activities we've done during this pandemic to try to help our customers take advantage of, um, not take advantage, but but provide a response to um, the the difficulty they're facing in the changing times. 
Yeah. So the capacity thing where you it, it goes to an app, right? Now, is that for the, the traveler to say, I really don't want to get on a crowded bus or a crowded rail train or whatever. I, I want to look for the next available one that's half full. Is that what you're talking about? So it's actually in the traveler's app or... Yeah, that's the the way to think about it. Uh, again, you know, pre-pandemic, we were we were focused on providing, you know, what what to the transportation authorities is is a as a passenger count that allows them to make business decisions, you know, report to their board how many passengers did they move, things like that. And and in the middle of the pandemic, there became a desire for how do we tell people that uh, if you remember kind of the blocking off of seats and the little circles on the floor that, you know, six feet of space. So if you had a 40 person bus in the, in the middle of the pandemic, you may have said, I only want uh, 20 people on that bus or 15 people. So being able to publish whether that was full, partially full, you know, how many more, how many more passengers could get on the bus, that type of thing. So Kirk, if uh, our listeners wanted to get a hold of learning more information about Luminator, where, where would they go to? Sure. If you go to uh, Luminator.com, there's uh, an opportunity to ask for some contact. You can always call our offices in Plano, Texas. Uh, we've got a sales organization and service group and uh, be happy to work with uh, anybody or provide some, some input into what we do. Great, great. So AR is kind of like a buzzword here lately. And I know PSA, we're getting into AR as well, looking at, you know, servicing our systems, uh, marketing and things of that nature. What What is the Illuminator group and technology group doing to enhance the technology use AR into your offerings? Yeah, so when you think about AR in terms of augmented reality, um, we are doing relatively little. Um, there is a some augmented reality activity going on in our space. So I don't know if you either of you will remember kind of the Google Maps um, activity that that popped about a year and a half ago, where you could uh, put in your destination and and you get a a caricature uh, in front of you on your map that will actually lead you to it instead of you kind of turning around in circles trying to figure out which way to go on a city street or something. So there's a little bit of augmented reality going on in the transit space. More of what we see in transit is what I'm going to call artificial intelligence, leveraging the data uh, generated by the vehicle um, uh, to make the operations more efficient and leveraging the data generated by the video to provide additional services. And so we have a number of requests for those types of things that we are actively engaged in working on. <clears throat> things that could be safety related, could be customer service related, like package left behind. So, you know, did you get off the bus and leave your backpack accidentally? You could consider that a safety related issue. You could also consider it customer service for the person who just absentmindedly happened to leave a, uh, a, a device or a, a you know, piece of luggage on a, on a bus or a train. Um, so there's a, a number of activities that we're working on in what we'll call the artificial intelligence area where we're leveraging data that exists in different formats and trying to turn it into uh, information that customers can actively use. Yeah. Interesting. Joe, under video surveillance, um, I, I know you and I talked about this, Joe, and, and so 
question for you, I guess, Kirk, is do you work, or I'll ask this question uh, this way, uh, under the banner of uh, video surveillance, do you work in conjunction, you work with authorities, but do you work in conjunction with law enforcement agencies sometime? Is there a connection like, uh, you know, in high crime areas or things like that? Is Is that anything you get involved with? Yeah, in a way it is, Marty. We don't, um, so a couple quick points, you know, we don't own any of that video, right? So we make the equipment that a transit customer would use to, uh, to record video. We also have some, um, some backend software, uh, and I'll I'll tell you this, uh, kind of the way I explain it to, um, when you're asked at that uh, dinner party, what does it mean? And, you know, if you think about an old police show or something, whenever they want to see what's on the video, the CCTV or the videotape, they're all sitting around watching it on a monitor, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) So obviously we don't really want our clients to be sitting around watching it on a monitor. So we have some activities in our software called smart clip. And some of those smart clips are auto generated things like uh, if the bus driver pushes a driver alert button, you know, mm-hmm. we generate that clip. We may send that immediately, depending upon that agency's configuration. That may immediately go to uh, central operations and maybe to a law enforcement activity. Um, but uh, at a minimum, you know, those what we call smart clips, hard breaking events, things that would generate a, um, a clip that a supervisor would want to look at. So we generate those clips in advance and provide those to the agency. Those clips can be forwarded. It's up to the agency. It's not, uh, it's their policy, not our policy on how they do it. And our equipment does support things like live look-in where maybe uh, maybe an emergency vehicle uh, has the ability to look into the video so they can understand the situation on board before they enter. Hmm. And that yeah. could be medical or, or enforcement. So, um, maybe a lot of reasons for that. So there are things that we do that tie into the um, uh, enforcement and uh, health response services, but they're run by the transit authority, not by Luminator. Right. So you're the company that does everything behind the scenes that nobody really knows about, but they experience it through the authorities. Is that a reasonable way to say it? Well, that that sounds a little more sinister than what I'd like, Marty. So. I, I didn't mean it that way. What I meant was that, you know, I'm a traveler, as Joe's been referring to as a traveler. I didn't mean it that way. What I meant is in a good way that you're providing the technology and, and the information that these authorities need to do their job. That's yes, I, we are. I meant so it in a good way. Yeah. We, we provide, so, you know, we provide a lot of uh, uh, operator interface or user interface information, like the sign you see on the front of a bus that tells you what route it's on and and maybe the next stop signs inside of the vehicle where it tells you where you are, uh, stationary signs, uh, video surveillance, which, um, by the way, is, is used on a, on a forward foot to uh, show customers that it is being recorded, which uh, has a demonstrated reduction in, in you know, challenges and issues on, on vehicles. So those are the kind of things that we do. And then our customers knit those together into uh, services and solutions. You know, Marty, you had a question earlier about why are we integrating things? And I'll, I'll take it as kind of a two-part story is, you know, part one is we, are, uh, we strive to make it easy for our, easier for our customers, both the OEMs and the transit authorities, 
to connect products together to provide the solutions that their customers need, uh, both from a regulatory standpoint as well as from a passenger comfort, convenience, and safety standpoint. And then in the traditional aspect of a business, if you acquire a couple of businesses and um, you have the same functions in both of those businesses, you need to figure out how to get them to work with each other. Uh, that doesn't necessarily mean you, you have less people or you have, uh, you know, you are firing or anything like that. But you can't have one group that says that, you know, all credits are going to be colored in blue. And then another group uh, that says all debits are going to be colored in blue. Uh, they, they've got to speak the same language and you've got to talk about it the same way. So at a minimum, integration is just getting everybody to do the same thing the same way. Sure, and that's what you look for in the in in acquiring or merging with businesses. I'm sure that was part of your whole thought process: the right finding the right business model and uh, and whatever other requirements you're looking for. So, so Joe, I have another question. Joe, do I have your permission to ask another question? Ask away. <laughs> okay, so uh, uh, transit authorities, OEMs, and transit authorities uh, are your customers. They have been, and they are. I would think over the years correct me if I'm wrong again, that there may have been budget constraints from them doing what they wanted to do in the past. So therefore, uh, there wasn't new orders coming through. Um, I'm assuming that's somewhat true. Um, Now, my question is, do you have any faith in this new infrastructure bill, which I'm not sure where it's at right now, but uh, how do you see that changing things, if, if at all? Yeah, so Marty, it's it's always true that there are budgetary constraints that drive behavior, and um, you know, transit uh, in general terms in North America is not revenue generating, so it's not self-sustaining. Mm-hmm. So it relies upon both federal and local funding to generate services for their clientele. Mm-hmm. Um, when you look at the new uh, infrastructure bill, and there's really been three bills up to this point um, providing funding more to the transit agencies, and I'll never get the name of them right, and my little sheet of paper's not in front of me right now. So, <laughs> That's okay. um, let's just suffice it to say that transit authorities um, have been given rescue funds, or are not given, given is not the right word, but have the opportunity to apply for uh, funding to support their business. That funding has the um, has traditionally only been in the form of supporting capital uh, acquisitions, where local, state tax levies and and uh, fare box funding is what supports their operations. Mm-hmm. And during the pandemic, they've been uh, had the opportunity to use some of that funding to cover their operational shortfall. Mm-hmm. So. If you were to think about it in terms of no operational shortfall, I would tell you that that funding would lead to a fairly robust capital plan Mm -hmm. uh, that would see most of our transit authorities having a great opportunity to upgrade their fleets and provide more services to their customers. Um, If you translate that into an operational uh, gap, then it's hard for us to understand how big that operations gap is you know, how many restaurants had reduced uh, dining so they didn't pay as much in sales tax. So that's going to lead the local authorities to not be able to provide as much to the transit authority and their Mm. slice of the tax revenue. Mm. So it's a pretty uh, academically, it's a simple discussion. Mathematically, it's a pretty complex equation to figure out how much trickles into the CapEx budgets 
mm-hmm. which would be the part we traditionally service versus right. how much will wind up in the OPEX budget, which uh, for a transit authority, you know, their number one OPEX, OPEX expenses are going to be people, you know, gas, batteries, tires, those type of things. We're, right. we're so right. far down the list, we don't. Right. We don't hardly register on those OPEX budgets. So. Okay. Okay. Joe, back to you, Joe. So, well, so let's, we skirted around the, the acquisitions and, you know, Lumineer being such a global company, uh, have, have you made any recent acquisitions that had a major impact or at least a significant impact on your business within the last, say, 24 months? Yeah, probably not in the last 24 months, Joe, but, you know, 36 months ago or so, we made a pretty big acquisition in North America of uh, the Apollo video business. Uh, We had a video business in in Europe and um, mobile video surveillance business, and we did not have one in North America. And so as we evaluated the you know, the cost and effort to um, launch a new product line in, into North America from our European business or acquire uh, an existing uh, participant in the North American market, uh, we decided that uh, due to, you know, the circumstances of a company being available and the, the benefit of immediate customer uh, uh, traction and and having an ongoing revenue model that, that it was a better decision to, to make an acquisition than it was to try to migrate a product from Europe into North mm-hmm. America. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Are, 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 there, are there synergies between the two markets, between the, the U.S. market and the European market with your customer base? Um, yeah, there are. Certainly, um, you know, the it, at, uh, if you abstract this again, and, and uh, sorry for the all of the, um, you know, abbreviations or whatever. But if you abstract this out to the 10,000 foot level, we do the exact same thing in Europe that we do in North America. We provide, you know, passenger information systems that customers use to inform their traveling decision that transit authorities use to publish information to their client base to help them inform their traveling decision. Um, the European version of doing that sometimes has a different format, like uh, as simple as it sounds, the, the signs in the front window of a bus are a different size, physical size in Europe, and they use a different uh, protocol for communication in the four major regions of Europe um, than they do in North America. So as, you know, again, doesn't sound really complicated, but in uh, Germany, you need to be on the VDB protocol, and in the Nordic region, you got to be on the IT for PT protocol. And the way the data is passed is different than the way it is passed in North America. And so there's there's a number of complexities that make um, or require local engineering support in each of those markets to deliver an effective solution for the market. So as we think about it, um, you know, again, same at a high level, same functional thing. And there are some technology pieces we can leverage, you know, architectures, designs, things like that. If you have a, you know, if you make a, a gripper, Joe, and it's uh, or an end of arm tool, and one of them's got to handle a box so big and the other one has to handle a box half the size, it's probably not a completely different design. Might, might be different size members or pieces and size uh, the tooling, but the structure can be very much the same. And you see the same in our business. Um, different form factor when it gets into the market, but some of the technology components are the same. Okay, so you just fit it to function, right? 
Good. Okay, so uh, Marty, do you have anything? Any other questions you'd like to? Answer? No, I, I I ask my questions. I it's, it's fascinating. Uh, the insights are uh, really really fascinating. So, uh, Joe, unless you have something, maybe we want to wrap up. Yeah, I don't know. Uh, do you have a, a short maybe success story? I always like to talk about success stories, Kirk. So, you know, recently has there has there been one of those? Sure. So, you know, when we think about success and, and um, it, I'll kind of cage it into a couple different buckets. One of them is, you know, the, although not uh, widely used in the market yet, uh, requires EPA approval of which we have in a certain number of states to be able to bring a, a product like our Renew Air Treatment System that is very effective at eliminating COVID to market in under you know, a year is a, a pretty big move for us. Um, you know, we're not a fluid dynamics company. We didn't have that. If you looked at all of our products before, you won't see that in there. So to really get a dedicated engineering team to figure out the, the you know, the ins and outs of uh, particulate flowing around a uh, uh, an airplane or a bus or a train, really a lot of complications you wouldn't have expected from the start of that. And by the way, for entertainment value, you can go out and look at some of these um, kind of sneeze simulations. What happens if somebody sneezes on an airplane? There's a, there, there, there's some airflow. There's some airflow models about that. And Marty, what you're gonna what you're gonna find out is if the guy sneezing like three seats in front of you, you you're getting that shit all over you. That's so, one of the reasons why I try to avoid airplanes. So. Um, I, I travel frequently and the mask <laughs> mandate on an airplane makes a lot of sense to me after you watch one of those things. So yeah. to, to us, that's kind of a big success. Um, you know, uh, di different parts of the world respond differently. And um, there are some parts that are really supporting their transit authorities and, and doing a lot of things. And we, we are um, having quite a bit of success with that. And overall, and I realize this isn't a specific success story, but um, underappreciated for people to understand the, the uh, work that went into that local uh, bus or rail provider to keep that service operational and running. A um, lot, of, lot of challenges behind it, you know, uh, a mm -hmm. lot of hard work and people to make that work. And so mm -hmm. to, to keep that going and keep all of that uh, operating with a modicum of disturbances is kind of a yeoman's effort. And uh, our operations team, the same. Those guys are fighting tooth and nail every day on the supply chain issues. But, you know, they've kind of been in battle for about a year and a half now. And if you run an operation, you know that every day is a new day and it starts all over again. And that's been a long, long road for that team. So be nice to your operations, guys. And, uh, you know, thank a bus driver. Yeah, there you go. There you go. Good words of wisdom there. Thanks a bunch. Hey, give us your website one more time. Uh, www.luminator.com. Luminator is L-U-M-I-N-A-T-O-R. Luminator.com. And Kirk, spell your last name for everyone. And obviously, K-I-R-K, -K and spell your last name for us. Uh, Goins, G-O-I-N-S. Excellent. Joe, I thought that was a fascinating discussion. So, uh, hey, Joe, thanks for allowing me to be part of the PSA podcast, Kirk. Uh, I learned a lot. So thank you so much. All right, Kirk. Thanks, thanks to so both much. of you. And
Thanks for letting Illuminator join you this morning. Take care. Absolutely. Much appreciated. Take care. Thank you for listening to the PSA Podcast, which is a production of PSA Systems and Business Builders Media. Learn more at PSASystems.com and BusinessBuildersMedia.com. That's PSASystems.com and BusinessBuildersMedia.com.